In this episode of 2000 Books, real estate entrepreneur Frank McKinney shares great insights from his book, Make It Big. We talk about what do we need to do in order to build an extraordinary life? How can we build our risk threshold so that we can go after our biggest dreams? And why we must give now and not wait till we have enough money or success to give? And how his foundation has built 22 self-sufficient villages for the underprivileged in Haiti. Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2000 Bucks. Every Monday and Wednesday, we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs, books in the field of startups, marketing, sales, productivity, management, leadership, strategy, personal development, and much, much more. And I am your host, Manny Vaya. Frank McKinney is a real estate entrepreneur, five-time international best-selling author, philanthropist, ultra-marathon runner, actor, and visionary who sees opportunities and creates markets where none existed before. Frank started with a $50,000 fixer-upper home and climbed the real estate ladder all the way to a $50 million oceanfront mansion. In 1998, Frank and Nilsa McKinney founded the Caring House Project Foundation, a non-profit 501c3 organization that provides housing and a self-sustaining existence for homeless families in the Caribbean, South America, Africa, Indonesia, and here in the United States of America. By the end of 2016, a total of 10,000 and more people will have been sheltered in Haiti alone because of the Caring House Project Foundation. Today, we're talking about his awesome book, Make It Big. 49 Secrets for Building a Life of Extreme Success. Frank, I am really excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Oh, Manny, it's great to be here. I'm, I'm glad that you enjoyed my first book, Make It Big. I'm excited because, you know, Make It Big came out a long time ago. And, yeah. and it, you, this is the original book off the press. You can tell it's kind of beaten up. I, I still go back and refer to pages and chapters in here because I wrote this a long time ago. And, and even the author of the book has to go back and remind himself, it doesn't come naturally. We need to continue to educate ourselves. That, that, that's, a great, that's a great point right there, that we, continue, we have to continue to build our, uh, to learn and to grow and to improve ourselves, and we're never done in this process. Um, no, and even, you know, even though you, you, know, you assume, if you're an author, if you look up the definition of author, it says you're an, you're an authority on something. Well, none of these things come naturally. These, these, even though the book has 49 chapters, very short chapters, 49 nuggets, philosophies, I still got to work at them. I, mean, I still got to go back and remind myself, you know, what works for me if I get distracted or I think I've made it and I, I don't need to apply some of these basic principles. That's when I get off track. So I'm really excited to, to discuss something that I still try to live by on a daily basis. That's awesome, uh, and I'm excited as well. So let's start with your personal story. Of I know you, it's it's been a fascinating journey um, from where you started with your with early troubles in school and high school all the way to where you are today. So tell us about your story. Let's 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 go into it a little bit. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, everybody listening today has a, has a point of beginning, right? And and so there's nothing extraordinary about when you're 18 years old and all I had was a fifty dollar bill in my pocket. You know how many people at 18 had much more than that? That's that's not really extraordinary. It, what what be, what started to to move you from ordinary to extraordinary is the fact that I, you know, I did leave Indiana with that fifty dollar bill after going to my fourth high school in four years. I was asked to leave the first three high schools. Basically, I, I, I got kicked out of the first three high schools. I graduated with a 1.8 grade point average, which did not even allow me to pursue a, an education at a community college. I came to Florida from Indiana. I lived on a farm in Indiana, just a corn-fed country boy. 
started working down here in South Florida on a golf course, digging sand traps, you know, with a shovel by hand, earning 180 bucks a week. But I, I learned a pretty strong work ethic. I don't believe in the welfare mentality, the entitlement mentality. The welfare system is fine, but the mentality is toxic. I was very happy to be to have a job. The thing that worked for me is I was around affluence. I was around people who could play golf all day and then could ultimately play tennis all day. And I was at 18, 19, 20 years old, I was very consumed by that. Matter of fact, I was intoxicated by that thought of these guys and men and women that could just live the lifestyles of the rich and famous. You know, almost like MTV Cribs comes off the screen and I get to see people live it. I wanted the lifestyle. You know, I was young and I was impressionable. And so I started to emulate the lifestyle that I saw these people that never seemed to work, but they had made so much money that they really didn't need to work anymore. I went from the the golf course to the tennis courts. I became a tennis instructor, a tennis pro. I went from four bucks an hour to 50 bucks an hour teaching tennis to the wealthy. So I was making over $100,000 a year as a tennis instructor by the time I was 20. But there was a limit, Manny. There was a limit. There's 50 hours in a week. And if I'm making you know 40 to 50 bucks an hour, I'm only going to make 100 grand a year ever. And I'm going to bake out there in the hot sun for the rest of my life. So I really learned from the people I taught tennis to how they made their fortunes. I earned my PhD in entrepreneurship, really my master's in real estate on that tennis court, asking people who were successful how they did it. And the answer that I got more often than not had some real estate related story to it. So I thought, you know, let's save our money. Let's do it. Let's save our money teaching tennis. You know, I might look like I'm pretty exciting, but I am, as my wife says, I'm a nerd in cheap's clothing. You know, I don't, I don't drink or I don't smoke or do drugs or stay up late or gamble or, you know, I go to bed at 8.30, I get up at 4.30, I save my money, I learn from the people who I was teaching tennis to, I bought my first fixer-upper, real estate fixer-upper in the mid to late 90s or mid to late 80s, flipped it before flipping was even a thing and made $7,000. It could have been monopoly money, Manny. It was the fact that my concept of, you know, buying an undervalued commodity, adding value to it like nobody else marketing it like nobody else and then selling it for a profit for margins like nobody else. So for the first five years of my career in real estate, I didn't do a house worth more than a hundred grand, but our margins went from $7,000 a house to about $25,000 a house, which is a, it's a huge margin. 1992, 93, we graduated to the oceanfront right here, direct Palm Beach County, buying houses on the ocean or vacant land on the ocean. Uh, adding value to it by either renovating the house or building a new house. We've done 36 direct oceanfront projects on speculation, meaning we do not have a buyer in mind. These, all the risk is borne right here on these shoulders. I don't even have partners. It's me, the bank, and the IRS, and my wife, of course. And we will, you know, the average selling price of those houses over the last 20 years has been $15.5 million. Again, all on speculation, so we bear all the risk. That's my professional story. My, my uh, spiritual story is we, we run a charity called the Caring House Project Foundation that builds self-sufficient villages in the poorest country in the world. That being Haiti, we've built 23. Actually, we're starting our 23rd self-sufficient village now. And I'm talking about entire villages wow. we built from the ground up. We've built 23 over there in the last 13 years. Wow, that is amazing. And the, about the ultra marathons as well, tell us a little bit about that. Well, you got to have a hobby in life. You know, I mean, I, I choose not to collect stamps. That's not something that I would do as a hobby or, you know, knit or 
crochet or whatever people do for a hobby. I like running ultramarathon races. I got hooked on the sport very late in life, only 10 years ago. Ultramarathon races and races defined as anything longer than a typical marathon. So the races I run range anywhere from 50 miles to 135 miles uh, nonstop. I mean, you're stopped to go to the bathroom and change your shoes, but basically you're moving the entire time. And uh, that's, you know, it's a release for me. It's, 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 it takes an extreme amount of discipline. I finished the toughest foot race in the world, according to the National Geographic, six times. It's the Badwater Ultra Marathon, a race that is raced in Death Valley. Wow. Uh, in July, where the daytime oh. temperatures are 125 degrees, Yikes. the pavement temperature is 200 degrees. Um, I've, fin I've failed three times. I've made it six times. You know, I've, I, so therefore, I've tried it nine times, and, and that's kind of my hobby. Wow, that 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 is crazy. 120 degrees and 200 degrees on the pavement, and that's that's some that's some that's some serious dedication there, Frank. That's but for your listeners, you know that that could be like an interesting story. The the takeaway for the listener is Badwater. When you think about it, 135 miles nonstop in 125 degree heat. That is what I call the three eyes: insurmountable, incomprehensible, and impossible. Mm -hmm. Everybody listening says, "How in the world?" Well, I'm not a gifted ultra marathon. Athlete, yeah, I, I mean, I'm a good athlete, but an ultra marathon runner, that I earn every step. Right. So the takeaway is when that when that race laid itself on my heart, insurmountable, incomprehensible, impossible. I could have said no. I chose to alter my DNA. I chose to get off that couch and get out there and train and 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 not hit the snooze button and and really put my mind to becoming. A very successful ultramarathon runner. For the listeners, what's your life's bad water? Mm -hmm. What is your insurmountable, incomprehensible, and impossible thing that lays itself on your heart that you have a tendency to say, uh-uh, that's mm -hmm. just too much? Yeah. Why don't you try saying yes to one of those things, putting your mind to, to altering your DNA if you have to? Because yeah. listen, this race takes me 40 plus hours to finish. The winners finish it in, you know, 24 hours. So I gotta I gotta work. I'm going slow, I'm dying out there. I encourage you to, to pursue your life's bad water. Wow. Thank you. Um, and now let's jump into the book itself. Uh, again, uh, one of my favorites, Make It Big. Um, let's, let's talk about the top three, top three, your favorite ideas in the book. I know there are 49 great ideas in the book. The book itself is 49 secret, Secrets for Building a Life of Extreme Success. So it's, uh, it's kind of cruel for me to say, hey, let's just talk about only three. But um, if you were to do that at this stage of your life where you've, you've seen everything, what would they be? And uh, maybe we'll add another one for bonus sake. You know, um, the, the neat thing about Make It Big, as I said, I still refer to it. I think it was ahead of its time, Manny, in that the chapters are really short. You know, they're seven, eight pages long, almost like we now all have a Twitter mentality, right? We all are really short in our attention span. I didn't know that back then. You know, this book is well over 10 years old. Actually, it's, uh, it's 15 years old now. I wrote that book because I have a pretty short attention span. So let's, let's rapid fire these chapters, 49 chapters. You can see the book is not that thick. So to come up with three, I mean, I, I would say the one that resonates with the reader more than any other chapter in that book is exercise your risk threshold like a muscle. Eventually, it becomes stronger and will be able to withstand greater pressure. So metaphorically, you know, we're, at, we're going to the gym and we're exercising our risk tolerance, our risk threshold. 
the more you exercise your risk tolerance, the easy hey, two things happen. The easier it becomes to take risk, and then ultimately you are able to take bigger risks. So in that in that chapter, my biggest risk I think I ever took in my life, it wasn't the $50 million spec home that we built. A lot of people think that would be, and in there we did build a $50 million spec home. There was 18 bedrooms, uh, 22 bathrooms, a 24-car garage, uh, 32,000 square feet. The biggest risk I ever took was coming off the tennis court as a tennis pro. Basically, that was my cubicle, right? That was my 9 to 5. And deciding to buy, put my money where my mouth is and deciding to buy that first $50,000 fixer-upper. That was a huge risk. I mean, this was before no money down and other people's money and all this, you know, I'm going to use a bad word here, all this bullshit that you see on, on uh, you know, on, on these shows, on these guys, these scammers out there. I There was no other people's money. I used to put my money where my mouth was. So by exercising your risk tolerance, it becomes stronger. It's able to withstand greater pressure, which allows you to feel, like I don't feel like what I'm doing is a gamble. I do feel... Um, I'm going to tie this in a little bit. I do feel fear, but fear is always, almost always a result of the thought of taking a risk, not the actual taking of the risk, but the thought of taking a risk. And the risk in life is usually associated with two things, big change or big challenge. Big change could be relational. It could be spiritual. It could be financial. It could be dietary. You know, big change, and then, then that, then that, that, that's a risk. And then what happens? We, we, we become fearful, and most often, we we don't take the risk because of the fear. For me, when I contemplate a big change or big challenge in my life, I do get afraid, but I welcome the sensation because I know it means I'm about to take a risk, and some risks pan out. You know, some like the, the, the race across the desert. I've made it six times. I failed three times. Some of the houses I make more money than I do on others. But without saying yes to that risk and, and, and saying, okay, fear, bring it on. I understand. If I wasn't afraid, then I would be losing a ton of money. I'm telling you, it's okay to have, have fear. So I would read, and I do reread that chapter. I think it's chapter 25. Exercise your risk threshold like a muscle. Eventually become stronger and able to withstand greater pressure. That's right. And uh, one of the things um, along the lines of what, what we're discussing here, um, uh, I was having a discussion with one of my fellows, uh, fellow um, entrepreneurs, and she said, well, courage is the opposite of fear. And I said, no, courage is action in spite of fear. We all have the fear, but it's the courageous few who will take action while the fear is still there in the system. And that's what you're saying. Fear will always be there. You can't just say that I will banish fear from my life. In fact, that's not a healthy possibility anyways. What you're saying is there will be fear, but we've got to push forward. We've got to take action in spite of it. Or I'm, uh, What I'm encouraging in people to do is recondition their response to fear. Yeah. You're going to feel it. Mm -hmm. But to me, when I feel fear, it means opportunity. Mm -hmm. And not every not every opportunity that comes my way that causes me to feel fear do I pursue, right? I mean, you can't pursue everything. Some of them are bad ideas or bad deals. Mm -hmm. But I don't immediately dismiss it offhand because I feel that sensation of fear. Recondition your response to fear, and you will have a lot more success in life than not. Great, great. Now let's move on to the next idea you have. Um, we're going to talk about... 
Yeah, I would say for, for me, and it's really important for, for those out there, it, it might not be as important to a lot of your listeners, but each one of us listening and each everybody who's read Make It Big has been blessed with ability to succeed at some level. And those blessings were not meant for your sole benefit, but they're meant to in order to bless others who will not likely succeed at Manny's level or my level or whoever's listening to this level. That's a really important concept that I grasp at a pretty young age. And without you know, getting too overly religious on you, you know, God rewards responsible stewards. I wrote a book called The Tap, and, and it's a spiritual book. And, and, the, and the book is based on this wonderful life mantra that goes, to whom much is entrusted, much is expected. Now, that happens to be a biblical passage, so if you're not religious, don't let that scare you. If you are religious, it's a great life mantra. If you're not religious, it's a life mantra that has to be from the Bible. So just don't let that get in your way. But, but to whom much is entrusted, much is expected. The more responsible you are with the blessings you've been given, and don't tell me you haven't been given any because you don't. it's not just treasure, it's also time and talent that you've been blessed with. The more responsible you are as a steward of those blessings, the more come your way. So, so, so to be able to share your blessings with those less fortunate in the form of time, talent, or treasure is something that I think that's the ultimate success advice in succeeding in the business we're all in, Manny, which is the business of life. You do that, whatever the business of in, that you are, the business of business that you're in is going to be much more successful. So sh each one of us has been blessed with the ability to succeed, not at, you know, for your own benefit, but for the benefit of others who will likely not succeed at your level. Yeah, so uh, we... What goes around comes around, right? And if if we're gonna, what you're saying is, unless we develop this this capability or this understanding that we got to give, um, what whatever we can in terms of our time, talents, and abilities, uh, unless we give those, we cannot really expect to 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 be really. Um, I, successful is probably not the only word here, but I'm saying more fulfilled, living a full life. That that That's would never happen. Yeah, you are using the proper word. You can listen, and and I say this from a place of experience and authority. In that, I've sold houses to billionaires who were successful but unhappy. You know, the fulfillment element was not there because there was no connection to what I refer to in my book, The Tap, their spiritual highest calling. Everybody listening to this call, Manny, has a professional highest calling, and we're focused kind of on that because this is a business call. But y'all also have a spiritual highest calling, and when you can put those two together, like I build houses for the world's most wealthy so I can provide houses to the world's most poor in Haiti, I mean, that, that makes for a pretty fulfilling life. It doesn't mean Frank's skipping down the road every day. I have bad days and get sad and depressed and things don't go right, just like everybody else. But it gives my life a lot more purpose. That's what I'm encouraging your listeners to do. So, Frank, uh, let's say someone is, if he's an entrepreneur, early, early on in their business, and they're struggling, trying to make it happen, and um, they're maybe their revenues are not even meeting their targets, and they're not even breaking a profit or whatever it is. They would say, "Well, easy for Frank to say that. Easy for Frank to do that. How do you? How do you? What? What do you say? Like, how do you?" How do you say they need to, or what's your response to that? Because before I was ever making a proxy, when you, when, you, when you think in terms of sharing your blessings, most people focus on the treasure part of the three T's, time, talent, treasure. 
So easy for Frank to say, oh, he can go over there and build 23 villages. And by the way, when we build a village, about 5% of it's my money. 95% of it comes from donors who love being involved in the process. When before, Manny, before I was ever a success in real estate, I was serving meals out of the back of a beat up old van on the streets of West Palm Beach to the homeless that live underneath the overpasses or the underpasses that live on the streets, basically. And that put me in touch with that spiritual highest calling. Had I never done that, Manny, there would never be 23 self-sufficient villages in Haiti. So what I did was I shared all I had, which was time. That time, then once I had a little talent, I used to go in the bad neighborhoods and fix up people's houses. Oh, there's a little thing. Maybe fix up some lady's screen that was ripped or put up a new mailbox. I had a little talent. I would do that for those who couldn't do it. Okay, so then God enlarged the territory even more. Then I had the treasure. 23 villages in Haiti, you know, each village contains 40 to 50 houses. I mean, do the math. It's thousands of houses we've built for people, for families that are, you know, typically in Haiti, it's eight to 10 people live in a house. That's 10,000 people that now have new shelter, concrete shelter, because I basically started serving meals to the homeless out of the back of a van. So that, that's how you would want to linearly succeed in your business, wouldn't you? Of course you would. I'm saying do them both together. One absolutely enhanced the other. And I think had I, well, I don't think. I know in my mid-30s, it was about how many cars can I put in my garage? How many, you know, how many fancy clothes can I wear? How much good food can I eat? Consumerism, materialism, you know, testosterone, just driven. But it was pretty... I was pretty like, is this all there is? I was, it was somewhat shallow. And then I'm selling to people who half of them weren't too happy. I learned, and I didn't learn too late in life, that I could put both of those two things together. And that's what I'm imploring your listeners to do. Got it. Dovetail, yeah. dovetail your professional highest calling with your spiritual highest calling. So that, yeah, you cannot wait for getting to a certain level before you start giving because that level will never come if that's the way you approach it. That's what you're saying. It's And it's also the same thing with happiness, right? Yeah. I'll do that when I'm happy or I can't wait till I'm happy. You know what? You, you, can't, you can't wait because you, the goalpost will keep getting moved down the field. You, you have to do it now. And, you, you, you know, if you, if, if you want to take that position, that, that's easy for Frank to say, come to Haiti with me sometime. You'll feel like the richest person in the world. You have mm -hmm. plenty of time talent t treasure to share compared to what you know what i see over in the poorest country in the in the entire world got it and uh um let's let's move on to the next one uh now maybe we'll talk about one of my favorite ideas in the book as well uh which was the lunch pail uh lunch pail principle or we call it lunch pail uh, lunch pail approach approach yeah, uh, yeah so lunch pail approach is a real simple thing and and, I, and it can be condensed into you know a sentence or two but it's basically um, overnight success sometimes takes 20 years, <laughs> right? There is very you, – you do see the headlines in the media about overnight success, but you don't read the sweat and the toil that went into making what per, is perceived as being an overnight success. Taking the lunch pail approach is doing just that. And, and, and for me, it was an actual thing where I packed my lunch, went to the job sites day in, day out. I would hardly see any project uh, prog progress on the project. You know, a lot of the houses I build take a year and a half, sometimes two years to build. But I'm showing up day in. And, and a good example would be Mount Rushmore. Now, Mount Rushmore 
if you were Gutzon Borglum, which is the sculptor of Mount, Mount Rushmore, do you think he saw any progress after day one? Do you think he saw any progress after pretty much month one? Uh, no. I mean, even the first year, it took 14 years to finish Mount Rushmore. He took the lunch pail approach and look at the legacy that was left behind because he showed up day in and day out, that beautiful tribute to those four presidents, but it took 14 years. I believe that to succeed today, I mean, you do have fast tracks and, and, and some of the guys that are that are into you know the, the technology business can get there a lot quicker. Uh, and I love it because that really wasn't my thing. It wasn't even available to me as I was coming up. So I'm all for it. But while you're, even if that's what you're pursuing, the attention span today, you know, the Twitter mentality today, meaning everything's got to, I find people, especially in my industry, they'll, they'll try wholesaling, you know, they'll try flipping, they'll, they'll, they'll try retailing, they'll try uh, renovating, they'll try short sales, they'll, they'll, they'll try bank REOs, they'll try it for a little while, and then they'll move on to the next thing, and then pretty soon they wake up, they look in the mirror, and they're 50 years old, and they haven't done anything. You've got to pick up that lunch pail, pack it with your stock and trade, whatever it may be. Don't be afraid to show up in day in and day out. And eventually, maybe it won't take you 20 years like it took me. Maybe you're an overnight success in five years. Mm -hmm. But there is no such thing as overnight success without picking up that lunch pail and showing up to work day in and day out. Yeah, absolutely. The hard work that we have to consistently, repeatedly continue down the down the lane of hard work and the idea that we can succeed without hard work. That's what you're saying. Like some people who are trying this method and that method and this technique and that technique, if they're trying to skip on the hard work, the basic hard work itself, it's almost uh, not realistic because somehow it does not work. Like hard work is almost like a key requirement or one of the basic building blocks of any successful endeavor. Even the even the startups in the technology industry, Absolutely. there was a ton of hard work that behind you know oh wow Google was so successful so quickly maybe in terms of you know John D Rockefeller starting the railroad system you know back in the day way 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 back of course it was quicker but there was still a ton of Sergey Brin and and um, what was the other guy's Larry name Larry Page Larry Page right I mean think about the work those guys even Bill Gates you know I remember when he started out uh, Steve Jobs. Uh, and then all the, you know, the the newest startups, the, yeah. the WhatsApp of the world, the Snapchats of the world. I mean, those guys still they might have started when they were fifteen. Yeah, you know, that's they're true. twenty-five now. That's ten years of real hard work. They seem young to you and me, but they've yeah. been at it a long time. That's right. I mean, Mozart started at four. He took yes. like by the tw by the time he was twenty, he was uh, he was a genius. He was whatever we want to call him. But at four, uh, he so and uh, of course I'd refer some of the listeners to if they are interested a book called Outliers by Malcolm oh, yeah. Gladwell which talks about Great the 10,000 yes 10,000 hour principle that I guess you and I are well, talking let's about touch on that that 10,000 hour principle is something that is fa fantastic to, for people to understand so if you haven't read if you have read Outliers just hear us out for a second I'm with you Manny I read that a couple summers ago and when I when I read it I, I kind of did a post-mortem on my career and I realized wow Okay, so to be an expert at anything, you need to spend 10,000 hours. An expert at anything. I did the math. 10,000 hours is five years full-time. Five years, you know, at 40 hours a week, 10,000 hours a year times five is 10,000. So I thought, oh, my goodness, from, from like 1997 or 1987 to 92, I didn't do a house worth more than 100 grand. Guess what? I got good at the craft, the artistry that is real estate. I did a bunch of little deals, 
And then five years later, we jumped onto the oceanfront and did a $2 million house. I didn't know Gladwell's principal back then, but looking back, I spent five years becoming an expert. I was an expert, and then it allowed me to become a, a much bigger expert. Yep, absolutely. It, it, it is so consistent with every field, every area, whether it's sports, whether it's music, whether it's entrepreneurship, real estate, business, whichever way you look at it, it's there. The hard work, there is no substitute for hard work. Nope. Nope. Um, and let's let's give the listeners one bonus, which was the idea of, in order to do extraordinary, we have to go beyond just doing the ordinary, or we have to get away from doing the ordinary. What's the idea there, Frank? Yeah, I mean, to, to put it exactly as the you know the chapter reads, it's to, to live an extraordinary life, you must resist an ordinary approach, and that takes a conscious effort. So as, as my friends in my early 20s were all going to the beach and, you know, drinking and partying and all that stuff, I, I didn't do it. I mean, I might look like I do it, but I didn't do it. And I decided that I'm going to follow the people that I admire, you know, my role models, my, my mentors. And, and they were all extremely disciplined. I mean, some people work hard, play hard. I get that. That's fine. But... To me, you know, an ordinary approach would be to, you know, gamble or, 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 you know, oversleep or overeat. I mean, it doesn't mean I don't sleep in. It doesn't mean I don't have a big dinner every now and then. But what, if you, it's, it's not too hard to go out and inventory what is ordinary. And you see it walking up and down the street every day. You also see it in the circle of friends you hang out with. They may be your best buddies, but are they kind of still doing the same thing they were doing in high school or doing it in college? And if the answer is yes, and you want to you want to break out you might need to change who you hang out with you just i lost a lot of friends on the way up the, the, the ladder of success yeah and that's okay you know i i i, I mean right now i'm gonna do a quick pan i'm gonna show you where i'm working from sure so so here i'm working from a tree house this is <laughs> i don't know what it shows right now but no i can see i can see the beautiful atlantic out there in the distance so th th this is where the reason, one of the reasons is, I, I mean, I had a main office until two years ago. I, I wanted a place that was conducive, drawing out creativity and ingenuity because in business today, it doesn't matter if it's real estate or high tech business or making new Tupperware. I don't care what it is, new pens or pencils. It's ingenuity and creativity that's rewarded. You need a place to draw it out and a place where I can jettison the ordinary. And all five of my books were written right on this desk. All the houses that you can see on my website, which is just my name, frank-mckinney.com, put a dash between my first and last name, were done right here. So it's it's out of the ordinary, obviously, to work from a treehouse, but the results have been fantastic. So you know, when you think about your life, inventory the things that you're doing right now that, that might be ordinary, that might be, you know, ordinary is another a synonym for ordinary, stagnation. It might be stagnating your growth. And what are the people that you look up to? What do they do that's extraordinary that you can simply emulate? Because I didn't have a chance to go to school, college. I needed to emulate the people that I looked up to. And so I just took all their extraordinary characteristics and I, I kind of adapted them in my DNA. And, and that's how I lived that extraordinary life. Right. And let's, uh, and let's move right into the... the, the action item piece in the sense that we know that there's no real learning without action on it. So if you were to give the listeners three specific 
actionable homework, assignments, exercise, whatever you want to call it. And we could start with the extraordinary or taking inventory of the ordinary if that's what you want to do. But anything, anything, any three things that you think are really important for entrepreneurship. This is going to sound a little, you know, self-promoting, but but the thing you got to do, you've got to read this book because I'm telling you, inside the book, one of the exercises that will make no sense to you because you have to read about it is the priority sheet that you read about that I still do to this day 20 years down the road. It's going to be hard for me to describe it, but basically it's a time management piece that I've used. I I actually draw it longhand instead of printing it out on my computer, and it prioritizes the, the pockets of my life that I need to be spending time on, and then underneath the, the, the priority, let's say it's my charity, what have you, underneath that is some certain things that I must do during that week in order to to, to, to move that priority down, down the road further. In other words, going from feeding the homeless out of a van to building entire villages. That happens a week at a time. But I, <clears throat> I religiously use that, that time management tool, the priority sheet, to do that. So in the book, there's actually, there's a sample priority sheet that you can use. It's easy. See, the thing is today that, that I, I find people get discouraged, they don't give some of these tools and practices enough time to saturate, you know, 21 days to build a habit or whatever it is, 21, between 21 and 56 days to make it a habit. People don't have the attention span to do that. Well, try the priority sheet for, that's we're talking about four weeks. That, to me, kept me focused. And it also, Manny and everybody listening, it helps you say no to things that aren't in line, and I only had three to four priorities in my life ever. No more than that. Underneath there, there might be five or six things I need to execute on during that week. But that allowed me to say no to anything on the outside. So that, that's number one. Put together that priority sheet. The second thing is, and I also talk about it in the book, is your life's constitution. Like, what what, what do you stand for? What What is it? And it's, it's, when I say your life's constitution, it can be like your personal, like the United States has a constitution. What's your mission statement? What is your personal mission statement? And, and I would write one of those, a new one of those every year, just because we evolve. I, I encourage you to do that. And I, I guess mine's somewhere down, it's down there. You can't see it, but I, I, I hang it where I can see, where I can see it. I, you can't, but I can turn around and I can see it. That personal constitution is important. And then, and then yes, inventorying what you're doing, and that's real simple. That's just taking a piece of paper, you know, divide it down the middle, and then what are you doing this ordinary? And what are you, if anything, are you doing this extraordinary? And what is it you see other people that are doing that is, that is extraordinary? And just don't try to do all of them. Just grab a couple. Because the, the thing about self-improvement is it becomes too intimidating. There's so many things. I, I applaud you for saying, give me three from your book, Frank, and give me three action items. Because if we can do just those three, you're going to gain what? Confidence. And then you're going to be able to do the next three. So good for you for keeping people focused. Thank you. And uh, thank you very much for all the amazing insights uh, and the stories you have told today. Uh, how can people get hold of you and maybe even learn about your newest project in Haiti, uh, go down there with you, whichever way you know people can help out or uh, be a part of your movement? Well, the first thing to do is, is take your pen and, and write down frank-mckinney.com. That's our website. It's, it is, it's like Disneyland on the Internet. I mean, you can go there and you can see the, the houses we built, these beautiful houses. You can take virtual tours, video tours of the houses. You can see all five books that I've written. I've written five books in four genres. So if you know business isn't your genre, you want spiritual, I've written a young reader fantasy novel. 
you, there's free chapters. You can read the chapters and see what you want. You, now, if you buy a book from us, all the money goes to our charity. So, you know, one Make It Big book at 30 bucks, I'm able to buy 300 meals, two part protein, one part carbohydrate for our uh, orphanages in Haiti. So that's how I fund my charity. Now, if you have a little bit more money, I can build a house in Haiti, a whole house, a whole concrete house in Haiti for four grand. And we take donors down who have donated to build a house. We take them down to Haiti at least once a year who want to go. So every May, last May, we took 60 people that donated, a, the, actually it's four grand you donate and another thousand to you know get you down there for your plane ticket and stuff. Donate the five grand, you come to Haiti and you are with some of the top entrepreneurs in, in the world. I mean, these people come from all over the place and we, we spend time in the new village and we spend time in, you know, it's, it's really great. So I think that I'm not expecting you to do anything to help me, but to help you go to that frank-mckinney.com take the tour visit the houses i just it's a new site that we just put up about two, uh, two months ago buy the books donate to the charity and uh, maybe someday you know we'll take you all down to haiti absolutely when are you going there next may i don't have the exact date it'll be up soon but if you go to the, the caring house page on my website you can click on a link that shows exactly what we did at the last uh haiti trip where we slept in one of the villages for those who are a little more adventuresome, we actually slept in one of the villages that we built with the villagers. I mean, it was, I did it with my daughter. It was crazy. It's great. Wow. Wow. Now, if you don't want to do that, we stay in a nice hotel on the ocean. It's a very nice hotel. It's very safe. We've got armed guards, you know, touring us through through the through the, the, the country. I mean, it is, it is, uh, it is as experiential and immersionary as you can get. Wow. Um, Thank you very much, Frank. Again, uh, it's been it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. I really enjoyed uh, learning from you, and I'm sure our listeners did too. Um, thank you. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Go out and make it big. So, my ambitious friends, do you know what is the number one dream killer? It is by far the lack of systematic execution. Most people just haphazardly execute without a proper system in place, and then they keep wondering why they're not seeing any results week after week goes by and you see no real progress and you keep wondering why people who are not even half as smart as you or capable as you continue to outperform you. Well, the truth is, whether you like it or not, your execution system is broken and you need to fix it now. The problem is that nobody ever taught us how to execute. We just kind of stumbled into our own method of execution, which is not even a method most of the times. But the good thing is there is help now. Thanks to the book, The Four Disciplines of Execution, which explains how to execute like a machine. And I've been using The Four Disciplines of Execution in my business, and I absolutely love it. And I want to share the system with you because it really works, and I love to share things that work. So these four disciplines have skyrocketed my speed of execution and given me a sense of control in this business that I'd never had before. So I have created a free quick guide outlining the four disciplines of execution. You can download and start using that guide right away. So just text the word summary to 44222 or go to 2000books.com slash summary and download the free guide there and start executing on your goals like a machine. Here's the thing, if any of these four disciplines is broken, you're probably not seeing the results you want. Heck, you're probably not seeing any results. 
And this applies to every walk of life, whether it is diet and exercise or building a business. The fundamentals of execution do not change. So just text the word summary to 44222 or go to 2000books.com summary and download the free four disciplines of execution guide and start executing like a pro. So I have something really exciting to share with you. After listening to your feedback over the last few months, I have opened up parts of my Thursdays this month, this September, for conversations with you. Yes, you, my fellow listeners, my fellow ambitious entrepreneurs, I want to talk to you. I want to listen to you. I want to answer any and all business questions you may have. And I want to take in any suggestions you have for improvement. So if you want to talk to me, just schedule a free 30-minute chat with me at 2000books.com slash discuss or text the word discuss to 44222 and we will get talking, you and I. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this because it will really give me the opportunity to get to know you, understand you, and serve you better and help uh, help you in any way I can. So, if by the way, I want to be doubly clear that this is not a sales call. I will not pitch anything to you and I really hope you won't try to sell anything either to me. So let's just talk like friends, okay, deal? Now, I'm only doing this for Thursdays in September and there are only four Thursdays this month. So get a time slot before they're all gone. Just head on over to 2000books.com slash discuss or text the word discuss to 44222 and schedule a time that is convenient for you. Now, I'm really looking forward to talking with you. So let's do this.